one comes to the Father but through him. And this is why the gospel is the good news. Death no longer has any power over Jesus. Therefore, it no longer has any power over you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you're believing for anything else from God, you're believing for small stuff. Inspiration for today. Lord, we come before you at this time and we thank you and praise you for the fact that you have given us the hope of eternal life, that you've given us the hope of the new Jerusalem, that you've given us the hope of eternity, the hope that one day we'll be in a place where every tear will be dried up, that one day we'll be in a place where we'll be in your presence, in the presence of the Father forever and ever, that one day we'll be in a place where we will rule and reign with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We had a meeting this morning and one of the guys actually shared after last night that, and this is one of the guys who's in leadership in the church, for the first time they realized that this stuff that the Bible's talking about is actually real. It's actually for real. The fact that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. Now I want you to realize, and I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm going to say to you now. You may believe that the resurrection is not an important fact in your life. But the Bible says that what you believe about the resurrection is going to determine where you spend eternity. Because part of being saved means that you believe that Jesus was raised from the grave. If you don't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, you're going to be in trouble when you face God. And, and, and what I want you to realize is that um, many times Christians are walking around not taking the resurrection seriously. Now the Bible also says that because of the resurrection of Jesus, there is a re resurrection for those of us who believe that is going to apply to each one of us. And here's the other thing. Many times, Christians do not live as one day, as if one day they're going to account to Almighty God for their lives. And I want you really just to sit down and think about that for a second. One day, you're going to give an account to your life for God. Let me put it another way. Every single person that is in this room today is going to die. Every single one of us in this room this morning, every single one of us who may be watching this online is going to die. If we're going to die, that tells me that that's something we should take seriously. Now here's another thing. Unless people give you a solution to your death, whatever people are offering you a solution to whatever problem you're facing in life, unless they give you a solution, something that solves your death, they've actually given you nothing. I want you to think about how many years people spend on their education. Now, I'm not saying there's a problem with education. Please 
you know, study and all of that stuff. But I mean, just think about doctors. They, they spend 12 years in school. That's not even counting nursery school now. And then they go to university basically for seven years. And then there's an internship that they have to run for a period of time thereafter. And in South Africa, there's in a, a one or two years community service where the government puts the doctor somewhere. So let's say just the tertiary education. It's 10 years. And that's not even talking about a doctor now who becomes a specialist. Where they have to do further study to become a specialist. So let's take that. Let's just take 10 years plus the 12 years at school. That's 22 years that this doctor is preparing for a career that's going to end by the time they're 65. And yet I don't care how good the doctor is, that doctor themselves is going to die. The Bible paints a picture of the solution to our death. And a summary of this solution is defined as follows in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 to 26. Now, by the way, if you were here last night, you would know why you can trust this. And, and when this passage from 1 Corinthians 15 goes back until. But in, starting at verse 12, Paul says this. But tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead then Christ has not been raised either. And if, if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, then we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came to the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has, has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. There is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, and then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come, and he will turn the kingdom of God over to the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That is an awesome promise. That is an incredible promise. But the question is, how do we know that it's true? Do we have scientific evidence which the Bible teaches about the, you know, scientific evidence for what that which the Bible teaches about the afterlife? Do we have evidence that the Bible matches science when it comes to what happens to people after we die. And what is the scientific evidence? Or is our body just something that is physical? Or do we have an immaterial soul that survives the death of our body? Now I want to first tell you that the Bible talks about death 
And it speaks about what happens with death and what happens in the afterlife in two phases. So obviously you're alive in the body and when you die, what's going to happen is you're going to go into what's called an intermediate state. Now in the intermediate state, this happens the moment we die. And um, at death, our soul and our spirit separates from the body. This is what the Bible teaches. In that moment, the, 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 the moment you die, your soul and your spirit separates from your body. And then we're either present with the Lord or we're going to await the judgment of the Lord in a place called Hades. That is what the Bible teaches. That's the first phase, the intermediate phase. And then the second phase will happen at the consummation of time, the end of time. And the end of time is the time when Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, the first thing that's going to happen is that our soul and our spirit will be reunited with our bodies. Our bodies will be resurrected from the dead. And then we will go through the final judgment. We will face God in the final judgment. And then we will spend eternity in a physical place, a very physical place. Either it will be what is described as the New Jerusalem or we'll be spending eternity in the lake of fire. Now, here's what critics have said. Critics have said that scientists have mapped out brain activity for a long time and that they've never found a soul. You will hear people tell you they've never found a soul. You will go and if you listen and if you read, you will find people that say this. And so the question is, do we have a soul or are we just physical? Now here's the truth. When people say they've mapped out the brainwaves and they haven't found the soul, the fact of the matter is this. No one has ever disproved the soul. Science has not disproved the soul. There's a book that was written, Am I Just My Brain? And um, there's a, a doctor who's a brain, brain imaging scientist, Dr. Sharon Dirks. And she wrote this book, Am I Just My Brain? And I've, I've got a short interview that she did where she actually talks about, Am I Just My Brain? Does my brain define who I am? If we could just show that, please. Thanks. I wanted to write, Am I Just My Brain? to show that there is so much more to a person than simply their neurons. If you even dig beneath the surface of this view even a little bit, you see that it really doesn't stack up. It doesn't help you make sense of the human person. And so I build a case drawing from philosophy, clinical medicine, and also neuroscience itself to show that there is so much more to you than just your brain. You have a whole inner world of thoughts, memories, emotions, feelings, that simply chalking it all down to neurons in the brain is not enough. I also draw from a background in brain imaging. I have over a decade of first-hand experience of working in neuroscience and an awareness of what neuroscience can and cannot tell us and I very much draw from that background in this book. 
So prepare to be taken on a journey looking at the fundamental questions of human existence, not simply what am I, but who am I and why am I? And so what I want you to realize is in science, they're talking about a concept now called consciousness. There's something more to you than just the physical. If you believe there's nothing more than just the physical, you're not listening to science. Now, our soul is the center of our consciousness, which is, you know, it's a place that houses our emotions, it houses our beliefs, it houses our perceptions, and also our memories. And this is, this is what Dr. Sharon Burks is talking about in her book. And the other thing that they've discovered is that the soul is separate from your brain, although it does interact with your brain. All right, some time ago, the scientists believed that you were just your brain, but no longer have they come to that conclusion. And there's no brainwave data that can account for everything that we are. So when, when you listen to people who tell you they measure the brainwaves and that talks about everything that you are, there's no brainwave data that can tell you everything that you are. They can measure the electrical brain activity, but they cannot measure your mind. Your mind is not your brain. The physical brain by itself does not explain the mind. And consciousness cannot be synonymous with brain activity. So is there evidence that our consciousness does indeed live after we die. I want you to look at me. You heard Mike talking earlier, looking at himself from a telephone pole. Is there evidence, do we have evidence out there that Mike is not just coming and talking about something that he was smoking weed or something like that and then that happened? And the reality is there are researchers in universities that have actually studied this field and there's a field in science called near-death experiences and so they've actually studied this and um, looking at this over the last 40 years over 900 published articles in academia has been published in scientific journals in this regard looking at near-death experiences i want you to think about that 900 articles, published articles, if you understand how the academic world works, they get peer-reviewed and all sorts of things before they get published. So this stuff has been published in scientific journals. And the other thing that we see is that people who are clinically dead, so clinically dead, there's no brain waves, your heart has stopped, you're not breathing. Clinically dead means your body's dead. And people who are clinically dead they have an out-of-body experience, and then they know things that they could not possibly have known without the experience being real. Now, there are stories like this that have come out where people have spoken about near-death experiences, and it's been proved to be false. So there are false ones out there, but these are not the ones that have been studied by the scientists. In fact, there's a researcher, Kim, Kim, Kimberly Clark Sharp, and Kim, Kimberly Clark Sharp, in a, in, a, in a paper that she wrote, spoke about a, a heart attack victim. And the heart attack victim's name was Maria. And she had a heart attack. She was taken to hospital. 
and they were working on her there in the emergency room. And while they were working in the emergency room, she died there in the hospital. She died. So she did what they call flatline. And she came out of her body and she actually watched as they were working on her body. She, she was able to describe the resuscitation attempts. She was able to describe what was going on in the room, who did what, and then she said she began to lift and she, she lifted up to the top of the room and then she went through the floors and she lifted up through all the floors until eventually she went above the roof of the hospital. Now, later on she came back into her body. But when she, became, she came back into the body, she began to describe things that were happening while she was in this out-of-body experience, things that she couldn't possibly have known. And there was one very interesting particular thing that she mentioned. She, she said that when she floated above the roof, she saw on the roof of the hospital a set of dark blue men's tennis shoes. And there was a specific way in which they had worn and there was also a specific way in which the laces were tied and how they were tucked under the heel of the shoe. After she described them, the doctors went to the roof of the hospital and they found the tennis shoes there exactly the way that she had described them. There was no ways that she could have known what was on that roof unless she saw it. How do you explain this unless her out-of-body experience was real? There's another account, which is a lady from Atlanta, Georgia. And she underwent a rare surgery on the brain for an aneurysm. An aneurysm is when there's a bleeding on the brain in 1991. And in order to save her life, they had to do the surgery. Now, basically what they had to do is they had to cool her down to a very cold temperature. And then they had to stop her heart and they had to drain her body of all the blood. And also they plugged her eyes, they plugged them tight and they put speakers in her ears so that she couldn't hear anything. She had no brain activity which means that during the operation her brain was dead and while they were doing the operation she had a near-death experience she watched the surgery from outside her body <clears throat> she described being taken through a tunnel and she described talking to deceased relatives relatives that had died before her and the corroboration because i spoke about corroborating evidence Corroboration means there's something outside that you can use to confirm that what this person is selling is the truth. And the corroboration was that she was able to describe the unusual surgical instruments that were being used on her during the, the surgery. So she was able to describe instruments that she couldn't possibly have known about these instruments unless she saw the surgery. She even described... The, this one drill that they were using and there was a particular dent on a particular place on the drill that they were, they, were, they were using and she remembered a female voice during the operation saying her arteries are too small and a, a, male, verse, a male voice said 
try the other side. She knew that the song Hotel California was playing in the background, softly in the background, in the theater. So her eyes are taped. There's stuff going on in her ears. How can you explain? How could she possibly know this? And there's a Christian, a Christian philosopher by the name of um, J.P. Morland who said about this case. He said this, It is hard to see how an honest seeker of the truth could not be persuaded by this evidence that God the soul and heaven are real. There's one researcher, one particular researcher, who, who studied 93 verifiable cases, just like these two that I've mentioned. And um, these are called near-death experiences. And he said 94% of them are exactly accurate, and 6% of them were mostly accurate in terms of what the people described. The people heard and saw things when they were dead. Not only that, in these cases, there are 21 of the cases where the people who had the near-death experience were blind. And some of them were blind from the time that they were born. And one of them in particular was a lady by the name of Vicky Umapeg. And she had been blind from birth. She died in a car accident at the age of 26. At the time when she died she had never seen before because she was blind from the time she was born. All of a sudden, after she died in the car accident, she saw the medics trying to resuscitate her. Then she saw Jesus, and then she came back into her body, and when she came back into her body, her eyesight disappeared, but she could all of a sudden explain what it was like to see, although she'd never seen before. Then there's a guy by the name of Howard Storm. And Howard Storm had an experience because not all of these out-of-body experiences are positive. And he had a very negative experience because he was an atheist. Now he was a professor, uh, he was a professor at a secular university in the Department of Arts. And he went to hospital with a critical medical issue and in the hospital he died. He described how he was standing next to his body and he saw people working on his body and then some guys came and called him and they, they called him to go down uh, walk down the passage with him and so he went with them and they, 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 they kept walking down through certain passages and after a while they began to curse him and they began to abuse him they began to swear at him and then they began to push him and then, and then after pushing him, they began to hit him. And eventually what happened is they started actually ripping his body apart. They gouged his eyes out. And in the middle of this experience, he cried out and he shouted out to Jesus to save him. And Jesus saved him. And when Jesus saved him, he went back into his body. He woke up. And when he had recovered, he went out of the hospital and he went and resigned from his job at the university. He renounced his atheism and he became a Christian and later on he became a pastor and as far as I know he, he might still be alive living today as a Christian pastor because of this out-of-body experience. Now the Lancet Medical Journal has investigated many of these accounts and has looked for alternative explanations for many of these near-death experiences 
They, they, they've looked, for example, and studied many of these cases and asking, could this have been an, a, a, an hallucination, for example? You know, sometimes they describe these things and say, the person was oxygen deprived, so they had an hallucination. And they concluded that none of the alternative explanations can explain away near-death experiences. There's one particular man by the name of John Burke, who is a pastor and a researcher who has researched more than 1,000 near-death experiences. And this is what John Burke said. Even though they vary a fair amount, these accounts have a common core. And incredibly, it's entirely consistent with what we're told about the afterlife in the Bible. Now, there's actually a book, and I spoke last night about Lee Struble. He wrote the book, The Case for Christ, and I said you can go and look at that book to study the evidence for the resurrection. He's written another book called The Case for Heaven. And as a start, you can go and study because he has gone and studied a whole lot of accounts about these near-death experiences. And they've, they've actually released a documentary called The Case for Heaven. You've got to pay for it, but if you, if you prepare to pay for it, you'll be able to go and find it. And in this documentary, they actually interviewed John Burke. And so there's a short piece that Lee Strubel showed where they interviewed John Burke from this documentary called The Case for Heaven. And I want you to listen to what he says. My 35 years of research have uh, completely changed my view from what it was earlier on of what the life to come is going to be like. What I've realized is that every good thing that we experience on this earth, everything we love, first of all, God created it. And that's why we love it. He created it for us to enjoy it and to love it. But all of it is just a shadow of the real thing that he created us to enjoy in heaven. In the over a thousand near-death experiences I've studied, it's this incredible picture of how when we die, we leave our natural bodies, but we're still ourselves. We have spiritual bodies, and not with five senses, more like 50 senses. It, it's, it's life on steroids. It's life beyond anything we've experienced. The colors that people talk about are, are the color spectrum is far beyond Earth, but that's what you would expect because the color spectrum of Earth is the color spectrum of the sun, but the color spectrum of heaven is the color spectrum of God. There's this great welcoming committee of people who have passed on before them who are there to welcome them. And Jesus said, use your earthly resources you know, to make friends so that when you die, they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. It's gonna be life and beauty, not unlike Earth. You know, there are mountains and flowers and trees and streams and all of that's talked about in the book of Isaiah and the book of Revelation. And that's exactly what near-death experiencers talk about, except they experience it in expanded dimensions of, of space, more than three dimensions of space and more dimensions of time, just like it says in the Bible. Experience on earth is, is just like a tiny taste compared to the feast that I believe God has prepared for us. And I can't wait to discover all these new things. I mean, imagine a universe of billions of stars and planets 
that we thought were beyond our reach, but what if in a thought we can go explore them? Endless, endless exploration. Come on, can we give the Lord a big shout of praise for that, amen? Come on, really give a big shout of praise for that, amen? These near-death experiences happen to people who were clinically dead. So there is scientific evidence if you want, and I want you to look at me, I want you to listen. If you, if you are looking for evidence that you have a soul that is going to live after the demise of your body, it is there. You can go and find it. And Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 and 28 says this, And just as each person is destined to die once, and after it comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will, he will come again to deal with our sins. So He'll come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly await Him. So what do scientific studies show about near-death experiences? That the existence of the soul makes the afterlife possible. And that consciousness does actually survive our physical death. If you want more evidence, go and get that book, The Case for Heaven by, by Lee Strubel. Go read that book. But here's the other thing. In Jesus... We have an eyewitness of the afterlife. Yeah, you've got Jesus. He predicts his own death. And he says, I'm going to be dead for three days. And after three days, I'm going to get up out of the grave. And then we have all these people saying that that's exactly what happened. Not only do we have all these people saying that's exactly what happened, the, the body goes missing. It disappears. And the explanations for where the body of Jesus go, without taking into account that he rose from the grave, the other explanations suck. And you know, you know, you know what distresses the Lord? What distresses the Lord is that there are so many people in the world that don't know Jesus. He's done all this for them. He's gone to all this extreme for them and they don't know Jesus. And if they don't know Jesus, they're going to end up in an eternity without God. It is going to be horrendous. As from their testimony from Hardstorm. And then there's something else that distresses the Lord. How many people are there that are Christians? And they're not even make, willing to make an effort for the Lord. How many people would say, if I've gone to church once on a Sunday for the week, I've done my task. And I are, if something else comes up, then I don't make it. How many Christians are there in South Africa that say that? And you know what? I bet those Christians are the ones who half the time make YouTube videos talking about what the problem with the church is. W 
what I want you to realize as you're sitting here today, what are you doing with what Jesus did for you? What are you doing with the resurrection? What are you doing with the fact that you're going to be dead a lot longer than what you're going to be alive? What are you doing with the fact that Jesus has given you the living word, the Bible, which shows you everything that you are, everything that you have been. What are you doing with this? The fact that Jesus who created everything came and died on the cross for you. What are you doing with it? Jesus shed every drop of his blood for you. What are you doing with it? What are you doing to make him the number one of your life? You know, everything in your life needs to revolve around Jesus. If it doesn't revolve around Jesus, then at the end of the day, you have a life that is less than what God intended. What can the risen Jesus do for you? What can he do for you? Even in this life, what can he do for you? Do you have faith? Do you believe? What can he do for you? You know, after, after he's already dead, they took a spear and they plunged it into his side. And the Bible says that blood and water flowed. I want you to think about that. Blood and water flowed out of the Son of God who knew no sin. And he shed every last drop of his blood for us. Which tells us that Jesus gave everything. He held nothing back. In, in Psalm 22 verse 14 and 15 he says, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like potsherd and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of the earth. I want to tell you there's no greater expression of love that Jesus could give for you than this. He can't give you a greater expression than this. When the, the soldier's spear pierced his side, the spear went in there because they wanted to make sure that he'd really breathed his last death. And the attempt to extinguish the last bit of his life became the greatest act of love because at that moment, every drop of blood came out of him and it's important to understand that redemption could only be carried out by Jesus because he's unique because he had the very nature of God he was then made a man and he demonstrated that love gives everything pouring out his life unto death love gives everything love gives absolutely everything and what else do we know about this the life is in the blood Leviticus 17 verse 1 says the life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement for the souls and so from the ancient times God taught his people that redemption would come through the blood the life is in the blood so when Jesus poured out all of his blood for you he poured out every inch of his life he gave everything for you there's nothing he held back this Jesus is the Son of God. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says about Jesus, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word after we had provided purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is more than a prophet. I want you to look at me. He's more than a prophet. 
and he is the exact representation of the father that's what that verse says he is the word of god he is the word of god the fullness of god dwells in him he is eternal he is never ending he is the son of god and because of the blood we can know god and we can know that we are children of god john chapter 1 verse 12 and 13 yet to all who received him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god children not born of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will but children born of god i want you to think about if you had a home maybe you're a wealthy person and you and, and and i want you to think about the difference between having a son or having a trusted employee in that house which one would you love more which one will be your heir which one will inherit everything and with whom will you share the secret of her heart the trusted employee or a son or a daughter